0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall The reactions came fast and furious, and the leak, according to NPR's Nina Totenberg, leaks have happened before, surrounding Roe v. Wade back in 1973, the decision granting constitutional protections for abortion. The question is, what happens now in a country that has protected the right to choose for nearly five decades? Rise up! We that. Rise up! from a protest in Norwalk, Connecticut last night. Today, where we live, we pan out from the news that Politico broke on Monday. A draft majority opinion from the highest court showing Supreme Court justices support overturning Roe v. Wade. It's not final yet, but Connecticut lawmakers have already reacted to protect reproductive rights in our state, creating an abortion safe haven. Coming up, we hear more about the bill awaiting Governor Lamont's signature. And later, we talk to an OBGYN about the alternatives when the Supreme Court issues its final decision in Roe v. Wade. We want to hear from you this hour. What was your reaction to the news? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888 720 wmpr Share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at where we live. Joining us first on Zoom is Representative Matt Blumenthal. He represents Stanford and Darien. He's the House Vice Chair of the Judiciary Committee, and he's co-chair of the General Assembly's Reproductive Rights Caucus. He was the primary author of this bill that I mentioned, just approved by the Connecticut General Assembly to protect the right to choose and makes the state a safe haven for out-of-state residents who may seek abortions here. Representative Blumenthal, welcome to our show
1: morning, Lucy. Thanks for having me
0: on. We know that Governor Lamont just yesterday reaffirmed his commitment to sign this law, a first in the nation that you co-sponsored. I mentioned it's a safe haven for abortions approved by both chambers. It will protect providers and patients seeking abortions in Connecticut. Tell us what prompted this legislation. How far back did you get together with your colleagues to decide this was needed?
1: Well, thank you, Lucy, for that question. Um, This past fall, after the US Supreme Court declined to block the enforcement of the Texas Bounty Law, SB 8, and the Dobbs oral argument made clear that there were five justices that looked like they were prepared to overrule Roe versus Wade, I started thinking, are we safe here in Connecticut? We passed Roe into statute in 1990. I started speaking to some law professors and the short answer I got was no. So uh, one of my colleagues and I, uh, Representative Gillian Gilcrest of West Hartford, we got together uh, to start the reproductive rights caucus here in the General Assembly. We invited many of our colleagues to join and they did very rapidly. Uh, we quickly became one of the biggest caucuses in the building at over 50 members. Um, and we immediately started pursuing an agenda to ensure that we could keep Connecticut residents, Connecticut doctors, Connecticut nurses safe from out-of-state legal attack, and also that we could protect folks who come here from other states to get abortion care that is legal here. And also, uh, we also pursued a measure to increase access to reproductive health care here in the state of Connecticut, particularly abortion care.
0: Uh, In light of this leaked SCOTUS draft, this bill, again, awaiting Governor Lamont's signature, uh, it's really become significant. uh, The timing, uh, you know, seeming just perfect, Representative Blumenthal. What have you been hearing from Connecticut residents?
1: Well, I wish it weren't so perfect. Um, What we've been hearing is largely gratitude for the fact that we were so timely as a state leading on this issue. On the House floor and some on the Senate, we heard from some of our colleagues that this wasn't necessary, that Connecticut was safe and that we didn't need to worry about Roe and abortion rights, and those folks were just plain wrong. And so, you know, I, I'm glad that we were out ahead of this, that we did the research, that we spoke with the experts, that we crafted a bill that is the strongest in the nation in terms of protecting our residents, our doctors, our nurses, and the folks who come here for care, um, and that we can expand care here in the state of Connecticut to make sure that people have access. It was timely, uh, it was urgent, and I'm glad that we were out ahead of it and we're going to be a leader on this issue.
0: Why does this, uh, this particular issue matter so much to you personally? I understand your father, Senator Richard Blumenthal, was a law clerk for uh, the, the, the Justice Blackman who authored Roe v. Wade back in 1973. Have you had conversations with your father about reproductive rights and, and the measures that uh, must be enacted to protect uh, the right to choose in our state?
1: We have spoken about it. Um, he was not a clerk for Blackmun at the time of Roe, but you know he obviously was aware of it when he did clerk. And, you know, in my family, I mean, you shouldn't need strong women in your life to understand that women deserve autonomy, equality, control over their bodies and their reproductive futures. But that is something that is true for me. Um, and it only confirmed for me the importance of legal safe abortion to women be, being able to exercise their full potential and their autonomy and their equality and so um you know that's something that's very important to me i view it as a matter of human rights and i believe strongly that the decision whether and when to be pregnant is up to the person who can be pregnant and they should be consulting only with their healthcare provider and and not having to deal with government or the politicians trying to interfere
0: I understand you're also a civil rights attorney. And so when we think about uh, this uh, potential decision coming down from the Supreme Court in the months ahead, can you walk us through some of the mechanisms in this particular Connecticut uh, legislation? Again, not yet law until the governor signs it, that would uh, defend uh, the state right of Connecticut to say you know, abortions should be protected here and also protect those from out of state who may come here.
1: Sure, so a number of states have passed laws similar to our Roe statute that essentially say that abortion uh, shall be legal in the state. The difference with this bill, soon to become law, is that it not only confirms that, but also blocks the mechanisms through which other states or their their citizens could uh, investigate individuals or pursue them criminally or through civil litigation. Uh, for the purpose of banning or burdening reproductive rights here in the state of Connecticut. So for instance, there are protections in the bill for medical privacy and the medical records related to reproductive health care. There are provisions in the bill blocking the state or any state agency or any law enforcement, whether state or local, from uh, cooperating from any investigation from out of state seeking to ban or burden uh, criminally or civilly reproductive health care that's legal here in the state. It also binds the judicial branch of the state and blocks it from implementing or enforcing any subpoena or criminal summons related to reproductive health care that is legal in the state. And there's also probably uh, one of the most innovative provisions of this law is what's called a clawback or restitution provision, where someone who is sued under a bounty law like Texas's or Idaho's or Missouri can countersue their persecutor here in Connecticut State Court and seek reimbursement for any damages uh, and get their attorney fees and costs. And uh, we arrived at these measures with the help of a number of scholars in the field, including Yale Law School's uh, Lee Brillmeyer, who's an expert in conflicts of law, and several professors who have been working very prominently on this issue more generally, uh, David Cohen, Rachel Reboucher, and Greer Donnelly.
0: When we think about uh, state rights and and how particular states are able uh, to proceed uh, when there may be a federal law that bans such action, there are precedents. When we look at immigration, even uh, cannabis, Representative Blumenthal.
1: Absolutely. Even when there are federal laws preempting state laws, which there are not in this particular case, Mm -hmm. uh, states can't be forced under the Constitution to enforce or implement federal law. There's something called the anti-commandeering principle that essentially says the federal government can't force any state to enforce federal law. And so even if there were some sort of nationwide ban on abortion care, that would still be an option available to the state. Obviously, if that were the case, it would totally change the landscape. But this law would help protect Connecticut, both in uh, a post-Roe world where The decision were left to the states because we know that other states are seeking to attack abortion rights, even in states where those rights are legal Um, and also in the case where there were an attempted federal ban.
0: Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as we talk to State Representative Matt Blumenthal about this measure. The Connecticut General Assembly passed late last week, uh, this measure to to strengthen the protections uh, for residents uh, seeking abortions, as well as to be a place of refuge for abortion patients coming from other states. Again, our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this Bill, including expanding access and who would be able to perform uh, abortions, but I wanted to bring in another converse, uh, person into the conversation. Julia Simon Kerr joins us on Zoom. She's a professor at the Yukon School of Law, specializing in law and gender. Julia, welcome. Thanks for having me. So first off, what was your reaction to the SCOTUS draft uh, majority draft leak?
2: Um, well, I was very surprised that it leaked. Um, that that does not usually happen. Um, And um, so that was a a big surprise. I can't say I was shocked by the content of the leaked opinion. Um, Given what the oral argument um, sounded like, um, it seemed like there was a very real possibility that the court would go this direction.
0: Uh, Reading over this draft majority opinion and your your view and many others, it is likely the Supreme Court would overturn Roe v. Wade in the months ahead, Julia.
2: Um, Yes. I mean, uh, nobody knows what will happen after this leak, but assuming that it doesn't catalyze some kind of uh, um, compromise or um, change in views on the court, um, and this becomes the majority opinion, um, which I think is a very likely scenario. Then, yes, Roe is you know explicitly overturned in this opinion.
0: Mm. Uh, the Guttmacher Institute, which describes itself as a pro-choice think tank, says about nine states have already enacted 33 abortion restrictions. We heard Representative Blumenthal mentioning Texas. Can you briefly walk us through some of these particular laws in other states that have gotten us to this point?
2: Um, yeah, well, these laws in other states um, are do, you know taking various approaches to trying to um, make it so that not only can citizens in their states not obtain abortions um, in Texas, what they did was they said um, citizens could uh, you know sue uh, others who were trying to um, who are obtaining abortions in the state, they could sue. The providers, um, and they tried to reach out of state as well, um, and then you know. But but that's a scenario where they're trying to get around Roe. And uh, now, if Roe is overturned, um, many states have passed laws that will take effect immediately um, that will abolish that will say there is no um, abortion is illegal in this state, um, and some of those laws also try to reach outside of the state as we heard um from representative blumenthal um georgia for example has a six-week abortion ban that was passed in 2019 and it was enjoined as unconstitutional under roe but that would come back into effect and in addition to banning abortion at six weeks um it also said unborn children are class of living distinct persons so they're they're that and unborn children are entitled to full legal protection. So, um, if a pregnant woman in Georgia crosses state lines to obtain a legal abortion outside of Georgia, uh, Georgia would view that as having the effect of killing a living distinct citizen of Georgia, um, who is entitled to full legal protection, meaning that they could try to prosecute that woman for going out of
0: state to have an abortion. Hmm. And so what you're describing when we think about, you know, the, with Roe v. Wade uh, most likely being overturned in the next few months, restricting out of state abortions is likely to become, as The Washington Post describes, the next frontier. Julia, what do you say about that?
2: Yes, I mean, I think that is what these, um, you know, it, this is a, a strategy that's been developing for a very, very long time um by anti-abortion proponents and so um, these many states already have these laws ready to go that are seeking to control um what uh women in their state can do with their bodies even by leaving the state um and so it's going to be very complicated legally it's it's very complicated Um, If, you you know, states are trying to reach outside their borders to enforce laws, um, you know, there's sort of different ways they could try to to do that. Um, And it's basically going to lead to a ton of legal challenges. Um, But, you know, laws like the one we now have in Connecticut are um, a really great way to try to head off some of that, um, you know, some of that, but it's 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 going to be a massively complex situation.
0: You know, um, some of our listeners may know that when we think about reproductive rights, uh, the fact that this movement started in our state with the case Griswold v. Connecticut back in the 1960s. Can you describe this case for our listeners?
2: Yeah, so Griswold um, was a case about contraception. Um, Connecticut had a law that said it prohibited any person from using any drug for the purpose of pre- preventing contraception. Um, and it, you know, I I don't think it was actually enforced all that much at the time. Um, but a challenge was brought, and the court held that the statute was unconstitutional. Um, because its effect was to deny disadvantaged citizens access to medical assistance um, and information in respect to methods of birth control um so they invalidated that law and they said that it basically they invalidated it because of what it because it would prevent um married couples from using contraception and it they said that that um Violated a right to marital privacy, um, so there was a there was a right that the court saw in the Constitution to privacy with respect to intimate practices, um, and that that zone was protected from governmental intrusion. Um, so that that was what happened in Griswold, and it was really the first in this um, line of cases leading to Roe.
0: Thank you for that. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Dave's calling in from Ohio. I understand he's a Connecticut native. Dave, uh, thanks for calling in. What's your question or comment?
3: Good morning, Lucy. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, yeah, I'm native of Orange, and, uh, you know, with all this that's going on now, um, <laughs> my wife and I are looking to get back to Connecticut as soon as possible, which is no easy matter. A lot of things have to happen to, to, to be successful at that. But uh, with all of these laudable, foresighted actions uh, Mr. Blumenthal and others are, have been taking, this is really heartening to hear. Um I don't want to darken the skies, which are already pretty dark already with all this. But one thing that occurs to me, and believe me, from from Ohio and a lot of the Midwest, where the, our states here are, are immediately going to, uh, you know, ban abortion as soon as the the moment arrives, and they can do that. Um, with all of that kind of settled for the the supporters of those actions in this region of the country. I, I worry for Connecticut and those few other states that are, that are going to, to be safe havens, havens for abortion that, you know, I hope that precautions are going to be taken for additional security for clinics and other providers uh, of abortion, you know, for people who may come in for other states, maybe armed, you know, all that sort of thing. I just hope somebody's thinking about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Dave, uh, for those comments, and good luck coming back to Connecticut. Uh, Representative Blumenthal, did you want to respond to Dave's point?
1: Sure. Um, first of all, thank you, Dave, for your kind words, and uh, we would love to have you back here in Connecticut, so hope to make that happen. Um, Dave, you're absolutely right, and it's something we've been thinking about here in the Reproductive Rights Caucus. Um, security for clinics and other providers is hugely important. We were primarily concerned immediately with the legal security, with their security against being sued or being criminally prosecuted by other states. But physical security is something we are absolutely contemplating and something that we're going to be pursuing in the upcoming sessions.
0: Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, coming up later, we're going to hear from a health care provider that helps uh, patients access abortions. And so Representative Blumenthal, when you talk about, um, you know, that might be the next uh, the step that lawmakers take, uh, thinking about additional protections, are you hearing that from providers that that may be needed here?
1: Um, we, we are. Um, it is a concern that Providers uh, are obviously concerned about their legal safety. Healthcare is a, a extremely regulated field, and they are very focused on obeying the law. and We want to make sure that they're protected, and I think they feel grateful already if they're engaging in this sort of care. That Connecticut is going to stand up and protect them, and be a safe harbor and prevent other states from getting information about their provision of healthcare or their activities here in the state of Connecticut. Um, but, you know, I think we have to ensure the physical security of these individuals as well. Um, it's been an issue in the past, you know, representative Gilcrest and I have already gotten uh, death threat to our homes each. Uh, so um, physical physical security is gonna be an issue in the future. And also we wanna make sure that uh, providers and individuals are protected against uh legal adjacent threats making sure that you know the the providers malpractice insurance will be protected making sure that they won't be subject to frivolous complaints or grievances on their license Um, these are all issues uh, and tactics that anti-choice folks in other states are probably going to employ to attack abortion rights here in the state of connecticut and we need to stand up strongly and say we will not stand for it and the reproductive rights caucus stands ready to pursue all the measures necessary to do so.
0: That's State Representative Matt Blumenthal, House Vice Chair of the Judiciary Committee, as we talk about reproductive rights in our state. Julia Simon Kerr, also with us, Professor of Law at UConn, specializing in law and gender. We're going to continue talking after the break. And take your questions, too. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
3: So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed. And in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery.
4: For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health.
0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Alpithanchel. Today, we're focusing on how states like Connecticut are responding now that a draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court details why a majority of justices agree That Roe v. Wade should be overturned. What's your reaction? You can join us as well. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. My guests on Zoom today, Representative Matt Blumenthal, who's House Vice Chair of the Judiciary Committee, also co-founder and co-chair of the General Assembly's Reproductive Rights Caucus, and Julia Simon Kerr, Professor of Law at UConn. Now, I wanted to mention that this debate over a recent bill that has passed to strengthen Connecticut's protection of reproductive rights acts to abortion uh, showed this is not a partisan issue. In fact, some Republicans voted in favor of expanding access, and some members of the General Assembly's Black and Puerto Rican caucus voted no, like Democrats, state Senators Marilyn Moore and Patricia Billy Miller. I wanted to play a short clip of Senator Miller. This was last Friday night in a heated debate. Miller opposed the uh, this bill on the basis of racism. Let's hear it. It is difficult for me to, to support a system that was designed to um, take advantage of individuals who didn't know any better. Miller went on to say she's uh, deeply disturbed by America's history of forced sterilization of people deemed unfit to have children. The Senate went on to pass this bill 25 to 9. Representative Blumenthal, I wanted you to respond to what you just heard. I know your colleague, Representative Trinae McGee, who's also been on our show, have raised concerns about uh, the rate of abortion among the black community. Uh, Both Senators Miller and Moore also raised concerns about the part of this bill that expands who can perform abortions in our state. The legislation will permit advanced practice registered nurses and physician assistants to perform vacuum aspiration, which is, I believe, the most common method of in-clinic abortion. How do you address their concerns?
1: Well, I, I would say, first of all, that this is a deeply personal issue and people have a variety of deeply held positions on it. And to me, that's, just why it's so important that the decision be left to the individual affected along with their healthcare provider and that the politicians and government be kept out of it. Um, In terms of the risk or potential risk uh, created by expanding the fields that are allowed to perform perform these procedures, we've got the data and the answer is quite clear. Uh, These procedures When performed by the providers that we are making eligible, APRNs, certified PAs, and nurse midwives, are at least as safe as they are when performed with physicians. In fact, the data indicate that the outcomes are slightly better with these providers. Um, In addition, abortion, especially in the first trimester when both of these procedures are able to be availed, is incredibly safe. It is one of the safest medical procedures Around And in fact, the risk of childbirth, the risk of complications and death related to childbirth is 14 times greater than that of abortion. So, you know, we we really consulted heavily with the medical field in in this instance before making this change. Uh, And in fact, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, known as ACOG, they're the field that certifies obstetricians and gynecologists and governs the field. They strongly supported this bill. So I wanna speak to everyone out there who may have safety concerns. The data are in and they show that expanding these procedures to these providers is very safe.
0: Getting back to your colleague, Representative Trinae McGee, uh, Representative Blumenthal. You know, she, again, she has been on our show, um, part of uh, our interview, where she explained why she opposes abortion. She shared the same stats during the debate on the House floor. I'm going to quote here. Uh, she talked about, you know, speaking to the history of what she calls this industry and why I think it's destructive to my community. Black women make up 14% of childbearing population, yet obtain 36% of all reported abortions. Black women have the highest abortion ratio in the country, 474 abortions per 1,000 live births. And So how do you respond uh, to what she shared again? uh, She also highlighted that, you know, often many African American girls are taught to think of abortion as just another form of birth control, and the black community has other needs, uh, desperate needs, than expanding access to abortion. How do you respond to her?
1: So first of all, I would just say I'd never challenge her experience in her personal life. Uh, But what I would say is I I don't think that depriving Black women or any person of the right to make a choice about their body and their future uh, does anything to help them. I think she's absolutely right that we need to do much more to address a history of medical racism in this country. We need to do much more to ensure that we eliminate the healthcare disparities that exist in this country. But that's not what this bill is about. This bill is about increasing access to health care for individuals. And the truth is that um, this anticipated ban on abortion that will happen uh, in other states when Roe Falls is going to disproportionately affect and endanger people of color and people of low income. People with money will always be able to travel. They will always be able to have access to safe abortion in some place or another. It is the lower income people, particularly women, and particularly women of color, who are going to be deprived of access to this form of health care. And so I think it's really important to ensure that it is safe uh, that people's autonomy and equality are respected. Uh, we, we have to address and, and always uh, look to address uh, this history of, of racism and the delivery of health care in our country. But I, I think we want to make sure that people have all the options that they deserve. And we have to do more to ensure that they have access to the full range of healthcare care options, particularly in this field.
0: Lisa's calling in from Hartford, UCAN 2 888 720 Lisa, what's your question or comment?
1: So my question is that in many of these states that are
0: limiting these choices, they also were against Medicare, expanding Medicare, expanding social welfare programs. And I'm just wondering how they intend to take care of all these low-income children. And is this even um, a mechanism for them to try and drive people from their states that might be lower income. uh, I'm just curious uh, on your comments on on how that'll all work. Mm. Representative Blumenthal, did you want to respond?
1: Sure. Uh, The short answer is I don't think that they've thought about that. And it doesn't seem like they care. As the professor mentioned earlier, that law in Georgia um, that would create a separate personhood for a fetus would seem to imply that there would be a whole host of other rights and legal obligations that would attach to the state to provide for medical care to provide for other care to the fetus it doesn't seem like georgia has any plans to provide that um, but it may be obligating itself to do so it it does not seem like there is any impulse in some of these states to provide the services and rights and care uh, that are necessary to ensure the success of uh, the people who may be born as a result of these laws. Um, and so, you know, in Connecticut, we do a lot to try to ensure that people have all they need to succeed, that we have the maternal health care and neonatal health care that people deserve. We have to do much more, but that's something we've always been focused on. We want to give people the full range of options, whether they choose to continue to be pregnant, to have a child, or they choose to terminate a pregnancy.
0: Harold's calling in from Greenwich. Harold, what's your question or comment?
4: Um, first off, I am a lawyer. Um, I'm a supporter of women's reproductive rights. Um, I think it should, should be decided, however, on a state-by-state level. But the thing about this, which seems to be missing from the discussion, is the leak at the Supreme Court. How do we have any uh, belief in the system if anybody can, who, who's working there, can leak something that they don't like. What's it going to be next time? And it destroys the integrity of the process, integrity of the system, uh, of a coordinate branch of government to have somebody think that they can unilaterally upend the deliberative processes of the Supreme Court. And uh, this is something that nobody's talking about, and I'm amazed.
0: Harold, thanks for your comment. I'll let Julia uh, take this question. Julia Simon you Kerr. Know, how do you respond uh, to, to Harold's point?
2: Um, well, I do think it's very concerning. But one thing I want to point out is that we don't know that this was leaked by someone who didn't like it. Uh, it could just as well have been leaked by someone who did like the opinion. Um, so I think only time will tell uh, and may- Maybe time won't even tell um, where this where this came where this leak came from. But there are equally compelling s- stories one could tell about why it would be leaked uh, uh, from a supporter as from a um, detractor of the opinion. Um, but I do think it's extremely concerning for um, the integrity of the court, the trust within the court. Um, You know how can they do their work if they suspect uh, a colleague or an employee will um, violate this extremely important uh, secrecy requirement and you know you could think about other types of cases where if what the court is going to do leaks you know you could have the stock market uh, go you know on a wild selling spree or buying spree so you know, it's not just this kind of case where it's, it's, it's really troubling that this happened. Um, so I think, you know, as quickly as they can get, uh, answers about what happened and, and be very clear about the repercussions and what they're going to do to try to repair, um, the culture there and make sure this does not ever, you know, does not happen again. That's going to be very important. I mean, uh, you know, courts that they're there's they're collegial. The best functioning courts are collegial bodies, even when the, the the justices or judges disagree. And this kind of thing is is really toxic for that as well.
0: I wanted to, to play a clip now, uh, you know, we've heard from Connecticut residents, uh, their reactions uh, to this uh, leak of this uh, majority draft opinion. Uh, some gathered for protests on Tuesday. Here's what Nora Nagelski-Eichner, a Norwalk uh, council member, told Connecticut public reporter Camila Vajejo. Um, she also organized this rally. Nora, this is what she shared. I am horrified to see the law going in the wrong direction. I'm horrified to see people taking away rights that people have come to count on. I'm horrified to see bogus arguments being made that undercut people's futures and, quite frankly, will kill people. And that's just a horrifying thing for the law to do. I wanted to play that clip, uh, Professor Kerr, because when we think about Roe v. Wade being overturned in the months ahead, you know, how concerned should Americans be about other rollbacks, whether it's uh, access to contraception? We think about LGBTQ rights, even gay marriage.
2: Yeah, I think there is reason to be concerned um because um you know the the opinion is basically saying that um you know abortion uh you know comes from the it, as I said before, you know, the um Griswold opinion said it's the right to privacy. Um and then we got Eisenstadt, which extended uh the right to concentration. Contraception to individuals based on that same idea, and, and basically we have this line of cases um, going back, you know, even further, um, giving us rights that are not enumerated in the Constitution, but but come from the Fourteenth Amendment: um, the right to raise children free of undue state intervention, um, the right to marry. Um, You know, the right to um, not be sterilized, Um, the right to interracial marriage, for example. And so um, the court, you know, Justice Alito's opinion keeps saying that abortion is different. So we we don't need to worry about these other rights. But the reason he says abortion is different is that he says it's a moral uh, choice and i'm not i don't really see that that is a delineating line between abortion and all of these other unenumerated rights that we count on in this country um he also says you know abortion is not a firmly rooted in history right i think that's entirely debatable and he's given his version of history in in making that argument um but you could say that about so many rights because of course um you know, the women had 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 no autonomy rights whatsoever for an incredibly long time in this country and uh, African-Americans as well had had, you know, negative rights. So um I do, I do think that this. There is serious reason for concern, despite Justice Alito's protestations in his opinion and the same architects of the strategy for overturning Roe um, are focused on overturning things like um, the right to um, same-sex marriage, for example.
0: We're going to have to end it there. Uh, Julia Simon-Kerr again is professor at the Yukon School of Law. Thank you for your time today, Julia.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Also, thanks to State Representative Matt Blumenthal, House Vice Chair of the Judiciary Committee, uh, as we talk about this bill uh, that, again, awaits Governor Lamont's signature. He has said he will sign it. Uh, Representative Blumenthal, thank you for your time on the show.
1: Thank you, Lucy, for having me.
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up, we talk to a local OBGYN, and we'll take your calls, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Today we're talking about Connecticut lawmakers' actions to broaden access to abortion and strengthen legal protections for residents and for providers. Planned Parenthood of Southern New England says there are 14 health centers in our state that perform in-clinic abortions. medication abortions. And in 2021, more people sought out medication abortion for early term abortions two to one than in-clinic abortion. That lines up with the national data from the Guttmacher Institute, a pro-choice think tank. Planned Parenthood says some hospitals and healthcare systems also provide abortion care in our state. We wanted to learn more about the options for Connecticut residents. Joining us now on Zoom, Dr. Kate Pascucci, who's an OBGYN in West Hartford. Dr. Pascucci, welcome to our show.
1: Hi, thanks for having
0: me. Uh, so well, first I wanted to, you to respond as a provider to what Representative Blumenthal shared uh, about the necessity of this uh, Connecticut bill awaiting Governor Lamont's signature and you know what you expect to see in the months ahead.
5: Well, I'm very um, grateful um, to learn more about that this morning. It is very scary to think about a world where women are not controlling their own healthcare And um, where it puts us at risk legally and uh, personally to um, provide that care. So it's good to know that we live in a state that protects women and the people who take care of women. Mm -hmm. Um, In the months ahead, I don't know what will happen. I foresee that there will be a huge... Um, healthcare crisis related to people that don't have access to abortion if um, in states where abortion is illegal, um, you know, using their own methods to um, perform abortion on themselves. Um, If low-income people are the people that are going to suffer the most from these kinds of things and they're not going to have access to come... Connecticut or to come to a state where abortion is legal and they may not have the means to pay for it once they get here. And I fear that abortion rates actually won't fall, um, but that deaths related to abortion and illness related to abortion will definitely increase. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's an important point to raise. I know Representative Blumenthal and others have said that with a a federal ban on abortions or more states uh, moving to restrict abortion, we're not going to see abortion end. We'll see what's going to end is access to safe abortions.
5: Yes. And I think that that is a a serious issue that people um, have not really thought about. There's actually um, a movement on a um, a physician mom group that I am that is sending hangers to the Supreme Court justices right now, um, uh, OB/GYN mother group. Um, so I believe that that's a real concern in the upcoming months. Mm-hmm.
0: I had mentioned, uh, you know, when we think about uh, the the options for people seeking abortions, there's uh, you know, the in-clinic abortions, um, but there's also medication abortion. I'm wondering if you can explain that more for our listeners. And, you know, are you concerned about uh, further restrictions? Um, you know, again, uh, that becoming uh, the, quote, next frontier, uh, limiting access. Uh, uh, when we know the FDA has approved this, and it's something that is safe, uh, from any early term uh, choices can you talk a little bit more about that
5: yes and actually it is not easy to prescribe that medication so you can prescribe as much opiates as you want but you need a different special license to prescribe the abortion pill um, that you have to pay extra for and then the medication gets sent to your office i i know very few offices um, are providing the pill because they don't they prescribe it but they don't know that the patient can't go to the pharmacy and get it so if you prescribe the abortion pill which is miffy it has to be given in front of a physician because they don't want people passing it around on the street but we are more than free to prescribe 30 percocets you know at will so um the person takes has to take the pill in front of you in your office And then they do another medication 24 to 48 hours later that will actually expel the pregnancy. Um, That is a very effective manner of uh, abortion in in the first trimester. Um, And we, that's usually the first line at this point. Some people don't, you know, it's a, you know, it's just an option. I always give my patients, they can either go to the operating room under sedation to have a suction DNC, which is, the surgical abortion that people think of, and then there's this also this medical option,
0: and this medical option, uh, the this pill. Eighteen states allow a pregnant person to get it by mail after a doctor televisit. Um, I understand it can also be bought on the internet, Dr. pescucci It's 95% effective up to nine weeks and 60 countries permit the use of this pill. That's from the New Yorker. Uh, earlier, I had uh, talked with Representative Blumenthal and he'd mentioned that, you know, as a co-chair and co-founder of this reproductive rights caucus in the General Assembly, you know, they're going to be moving to also protect providers and as a provider, are you worried about your safety and and what did you think when he said that to you about um, protecting providers as the next step?
5: Well, I appreciate that. I am not particularly concerned about my safety here in Connecticut at this time. Um, Maybe I should be more concerned about it. Um, I'm, but I am concerned about, you know, my colleagues in other States um, that are going to be faced with a choice of, you know, taking, you know, providing a full spectrum of care for women or, um, you know, putting themselves in danger legally or, you know, physically in some cases. So I'm more, I I guess I hadn't really thought about that in Connecticut. I felt I do still feel safe. I don't feel that abortion care is that easy to get here, but I still feel that it's accessible Mm -hmm. and I just, and I feel that my I'm able to provide care for my patients in a safe Mm -hmm. way here.
0: We just have a couple of minutes left uh, with this bill awaiting Governor Lamont's signature. We also talked about uh, the measure would uh, permit uh, more uh, access in terms of providers. So advanced practice registered nurses and physician assistants also able uh, to perform abortions. What's your take as an OBGYN?
5: I think that <clears throat> that they can um We allow the APRN in our office to um, give them medical, you know, medical abortion. You know, I think surgical abortion should be completed by a physician. Um, I think that's probably the safest way. But the medical abortions, I think they do happen by um, by advanced level practitioners.
0: Uh, Final thoughts for our listeners uh, as we think about uh, these uh, next few months, none of us have a crystal ball, but definitely a lot of people are are thinking about reproductive rights and uh, the future.
5: I think that we just have to understand that this is very unconstitutional and that basically we're saying that when they wrote the Constitution, they actually just meant men were created equally and that women are going to continue to be marginalized in this society. I think it has so many implications for the future, for medicine and for society in general, and it's a very scary time. I think that we're lucky to live in a state where we're protected, and I think that, but for women in our country, we need to figure out how we're going to protect everyone, and it's a very uncertain time for us, I think.
0: Well, Dr. Kate Pascucci, again in OBGYN in West Hartford, we thank you for your time today on the show. Thank you. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchal. Today's show, produced by Sujata Srinivasan. On the phones today, Katie Pellico, our technical director, is Kat Pastor. We'll be back tomorrow. We hope you join us.